And then our Bible study on Tuesday night, uh, again, having good turnouts on Tuesday night, we invite you to come out as we continue our series through the book of Acts. So today we are in the midst of a series on digging into the essentials. By the way, the men are having their barbecue today, right? So don't forget, guys, about that over in the cafeteria after the service is over. We're in the midst of a 12-week, actually, series on digging into the essentials of our faith. So we're only into the third week of this. Um, and, and the essentials are defined as, as what is basic, what is indispensable, what is a necessary element, what, what is of vital importance to our faith. That's what we're digging into these first couple of months of the new year. And we saw last week that when you and I apply ourselves to the essentials of our faith, then we are able to attain in our lives what is significant, what is meaningful, what is consequential, what really matters. In other words, if, if, if I focus on the right priorities, all of a sudden then it automatically builds into my life a significance, a meaning that people are looking for. They're looking for meaning and significance in their lives. They're looking for what, you know, why they're alive and what purpose do they have in this world? Why was I born? Well, when we focus on the right things, those things will come. And so the very first week we talked about what godliness is and what contentment is. And we define contentment as coming to a place in my life where God is enough. That's what biblical contentment is. That it's not about all these other things that I surround myself with in life, but where God is enough and where my pursuit of God is the number one priority in my life, getting closer and near to God every day of my life. When you and I do that, when we put our life on that kind of path or trajectory, there's another sort of result or benefit from that. We won't continually live our lives thinking that we're missing something. See, when God is the center of our lives, we're not ever going to miss whatever is really important. God will make sure of that when we center our lives in Him. But when we don't, when our lives are in the pursuit of all these other things, physical things, material things, uh, you know, things that are transitory, that pass away, then we're always going to feel like we are missing something. In fact, you know, we saw that even with sort of the fall of, of Lucifer who maybe thought, I'm missing something by just following God and, and, and you know, seeing what he has for me. I'm going to get out on my own. I'm going to do what I want to do because somehow I'm missing something. Adam and Eve thought they were missing something. In spite of all the thousands of things that they could do in the garden that God gave them permission to do, maybe even the millions of trees they could have eaten from, God says, just don't. Don't go to that one. Oh, but God, I'm, I'm missing something. Because the focus wasn't on God. The focus was on, yeah, there must be something else. And that's what happens to us when we don't center our lives and focus our lives on God. 
So that's what Paul's been sharing with Timothy, so that Timothy, this young pastor, can share this truth with his local church. Because God wants us to really get rooted in the essentials of our faith and make sure that that the very basics, those indispensable elements are, are in our lives and that they are a part of our life every day. With that being said, we begin today to sort of finish out our, at least our time in 1 Timothy before we jump to another book and look at some more essentials. And we're beginning today in verse 17, where Paul tells Timothy, this young pastor, command those who are rich in this world's good not to be haughty or to set their hope on riches which are uncertain. I want to go back to that very first word, command. It's literally like, hear the orders from headquarters. And what that word reminds us of is that one of the essentials of our faith is being willing to live under God's authority. That there are commands. These aren't just suggestions. These are things that if we say we know God, we follow God, we live for God, we love God, this is what we will do. Because they're commands. And God wants me to learn to live under his authority. It's one of the essentials of our faith. In fact, last week, we saw in verse 13, where Paul even says to Timothy, I charge you before God, who gives life to all things. Same word, orders from headquarters. I charge you. I command you. It is learning to live under authority. Folks, we live in a world today that is all about not living under authority. It is that independent, you know, streak that started with the fall of Lucifer and continued on to Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's basically, I want to live independent of God. I don't want anyone telling me what to do, including God. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's the world that we live in today. And that's why it's so important for Christians to say, no, no, no. The best life, the life with the most meaning and significance, the life with the most fulfillment and satisfaction is not a life that goes out on its own and says, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. It's a life that learns to live under the authority of God. And to live under the authority of His Word in my life. That His Word carries the most weight, the most force in my life. And it's being willing to even be part of a church where you know you're going to hear the word. And your pastor's going to charge you, charge me, and command us to do certain things. Because that's how we'll achieve abundant life. That's how we'll achieve the best life. Not by going out there and doing our own thing like Lucifer and Adam and Eve and everyone else down through history wanted to do, but by learning to live under God's authority, knowing that 
whatever he's asking, whatever he's telling me to do, it's only going to be for my greatest benefit. And therefore, I yield, I comply, I surrender. That's part of the reason why being part of a church and, and church being a priority with people nowadays, that's part of why that continues to wane even in America and all across the world today. It's not, you know, the thing to do anymore. And one of the big reasons is I don't want to go to church where somebody's going to tell me what to do. It's basically what it is. That's one of the main reasons why people stop coming to church. They no longer want to live under any authority, church, whatever. That's why even, can I say this? That's why house churches have become popular. Because it's sort of this group of people that don't have a pastor, don't have any real, you know, authoritative teaching. They just sort of sit around and just sort of share their own thoughts about things. But they're not going to have somebody in their life who ever, like Timothy and like Paul, is going to charge them and command them. Charge and command us. Because that's not the end thing to do anymore. But according to the Bible, it is very necessary that we learn to place ourselves under God's authority, especially the authority of his word. So he said, command those who are rich in this world's goods. Now, again, we've talked about in this passage of scripture, God is an anti-rich. He's not, he's not anti-wealthy. He's not anti-people who have, you know, an abundance of material resources. But what the Bible is saying is just because someone is abounding in material resources doesn't make them godly any more than being poor makes you ungodly. That has nothing to do with it. You can be poor and ungodly. You can be rich and godly. That doesn't matter. What does matter is how you view what we have. And one of the things Paul's pointing out here is, do we realize that we're talking about this world's goods. I want you to notice that phrase because what Paul is doing by using that phrase is reminding us we're living in this world now, but there's also a world to come. And I either am sort of aligning my life and myself around this world and putting all my eggs, if you will, in my basket for this world, or I'm actually living more for the world to come. And that's part of what Paul's saying here. When he says, command those who are rich in this world's good, in what's taking place now, at the present time, because this isn't always going to be the way it is. There's an eternity that awaits us. And are we living for eternity or are we living for the here and now? Because one day God's going to change the price tags on everything. See, the world in which we live now, they'll place price tags and value and worth on everything and say, hey, hey, Jeff, this is really valuable. This is what's worth something right here. And many times what God's going to do in eternity goes, well, that's what the world thought was of value and great worth. That wasn't any value or worth to me. Here's what was really valuable Here's what was really worth something, because this is something that counts for eternity. 
And God's going to one day, in a very dramatic way, change this world forever and switch the price tags. And the things that people value so highly today aren't going to be valued at all in eternity or in heaven. And the things that sometimes are very lightly esteemed and have no value or worth in this world's goods are going to be very highly valued in eternity. And that's one of the things that Paul wants to get across here. Command those who are rich in this world's goods, first of all, not to be haughty, proud, or arrogant. In other words, Paul says, Please teach your people that if they are wealthy, if they are rich in this world's goods, if they do abound in material resources, God didn't give them those things so that somehow they could get arrogant and proud and think that they're better than everybody else just because they have more of this world's goods. That's not the purpose of it. And then he goes on to say, and we've t- we sang a lot about this concept this morning. Or don't, don't set your hope. Don't, don't place your expectations, your trust, your confidence in what is material, what is physical, what is external. And here's why, Paul says. Because they are uncertain. Very important point. Paul says, now look, just like we have throughout history, do people place their confidence, trust, expectations on material things, physical things, external things? Absolutely, they always will. But Paul's saying, you do realize, right, that all those things that you're placing your hope on can be taken like that. They're uncertain. And he's already told us in this very passage that we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we're not going to carry anything out. So Paul is saying, why are you placing your hope, your trust, your confidence, your expectation on material, physical, transitory things that are very indefinite? You don't know whether they're going to be here today or tomorrow. You don't know what the value of those things are from day to day. You can't count on them. Paul is saying by using this word, the only thing that we can count on for sure is God. Which is why our hope better be firmly placed, centrally placed in God. He's the only thing that's certain. He's the only thing that's absolutely stable. He's the only thing that's absolutely secure. Everything else, there's no certainty to it. It can be here one day and gone the next. And so for people of this world that place all their hope and expectation and trust and confidence in things that can be easily gone, Paul says, isn't that foolish? Isn't the better, more sure thing to do is not to place any of your trust, confidence, and hope in what is external, what is physical, what is material, but to place our hope squarely on God himself and on our relationship with him. That's where it needs to be. By the way, this word certain or uncertain also means that all these material, physical, uh, external things that people do place their trust, confidence, and hope in will be utterly unrecognized in heaven or in eternity. In other words, 
they're not going to sway God one way or the other. It's not like somebody gets there and goes, hey, uh, you know, I, I got I got all these big bucks here, God. Doesn't that get me a little bit higher standing in eternity in heaven? God's going to go, no, that that doesn't have anything. That, that there's, Sorry. That doesn't help you one bit up here. I mean, you being a millionaire, billionaire, that, that, that might have been something that, you know, got you some places and got you in and, and got you some advantages and benefits down there. But up here, that's utterly unrecognized by God up here. What God looks for is faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what really matters. Centering my life on him. So that's where Paul's going here. He says, don't set your hope on these things that are uncertain. But then he goes on to say this, but on God who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. He says, look, God is the one who will give you, supply you, furnish you with everything you need to accomplish his will. If we truly are just focused on doing what God wants us to do and living under his authority, then we can be encouraged in this. That God will make sure I have everything that I need to do his will. And not only that, Paul says, but Paul goes on to say, but as I center my life on God and get my priorities straight and focus on God and make him the central thing of my life, I not only will come to understand that he'll give me whatever I need, but I'll also have the ability to enjoy it. Did you see that here? God will make sure that we have all things that we need for our enjoyment. Keep your finger there in 1 Timothy and go back with me to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, please, for just a moment. I want to read these very important verses to you but I want you to see them for yourselves. Ecclesiastes, you go to Psalms if you find Psalms, because that's a pretty big book. And then Proverbs, right after Proverbs, is then the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want you to look at chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, verse 24 and 25. These would be good verses to just sort of meditate on and read every day for a while, just to reinforce this principle. Notice what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. There is nothing better for people than to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in their work. I also perceive that this ability to find enjoyment comes from who? God. For no one can eat and drink or experience joy apart from Him. Wow. This is why so many people today aren't really enjoying life. They're enduring life, even Christians. Why? Because God's not enough. They're pursuing all these other material, physical, external things in their life, trying to fulfill and satisfy and find meaning and, and find significance for themselves and, and in their lives. And yet at the end of that rainbow, if you will, is never enjoyment. They're not enjoying life. Their life is always on this pursuit of something else. It's got to be something. It's got to be this. 
This is what it is. And instead of enjoying the God and the relationship with God that they already have, their life and their, their hair's on fire trying to run after something else all the time. God says to us, if you make me the center of your life, you make me the priority, if I'm enough for you, and you live under my authority, and and you just are satisfied with me, and getting to know me, and, and get closer and nearer to me every day of your life, first of all, you'll realize you'll have whatever you need to do my will, And second, the things that you do have in your life that I bless you with, these material, physical, external things, you'll truly enjoy them. You'll you'll find an enjoyment of these things that you won't find any other way. So that's why even in America, probably the richest nation in the world, We obviously have more stuff than probably any other nation in the world. And yet, is our country filled with just happy, joyful people? No. Because it doesn't matter, as we've already seen, how much stuff we have. If God isn't the center of my life, then it's never enough, no matter what I have. Whatever I make, it's never enough. Whatever I have, it's never enough. Because the flesh, the eyes, they're never satisfied. But if I center my life in God and make Him enough and I'm content with Him, then the things that I do have, whether they're just very little or whether I have an abundance of material, physical things, I'll truly be able to enjoy them because God gives me the ability to enjoy them when I put my life where it needs to be. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. He goes on to say in verse 18, Tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous givers, sharing with others. In other words, Paul's saying that when we get our life in a good place, guess what automatically happens? We stop focusing on us, And we start focusing on others. That's what happens out of a life where we're at a place in our life where we're truly enjoying life and the things that God gives into our life because our life isn't about the pursuit of all the physical, external, material things. It's about pursuing God. And when that happens, then like I said, then we're not about us and and what we need and, and what we're lacking and all of that. But we begin to look outside of ourselves and see the needs around us. The things that we could do for others. And instead of sort of hoarding and just stashing away all these physical, material things for us, and that we would be the only ones to enjoy them, we begin to see that the things that God does provide in my life are to be used not just for us, but to bless and benefit others as well. It doesn't mean that if you're wealthy that God wants you to give everything that you have away. But what it does mean for us is that we should be, as Christians especially, looking for opportunities to be generous, to live with an open hand, to share 
what we have with others. But the only way you and I are going to consistently be in that place where we look at things that way is when we're in a good place. And the only way we can be in a good place is when God is the priority of our lives. Not things. Not trying to accumulate more and more. And not only that, but I will also look at the things that God gives me as a way for me to invest in eternity. Because again, my perspective isn't going to be primarily on this world's goods. It's going to be in investing in the eternity to come. Which is why he says in verse 19, In this way, when we live for others more than ourselves, and we look to be generous givers and share with others, and be rich in good deeds, Paul says, remind them, Timothy, that in this way, they are saving up for themselves a treasure as a firm foundation for the future. And so lay hold of what is truly life, what is really important. And what's really important to God and should be to us isn't the physical, material, or external thing. What should be the most important is how is my life influencing and affecting eternity? How am I impacting other people for the kingdom of God? Because I want to tie this back in with something that he said at the very end. In verse 18, most of this is talking about material, physical, external things. You know, be rich in good deeds, be generous givers, live open-handed, ready to impart. But I want you to focus on that last phrase in verse 18, sharing with others. Most people would think, especially in the English translation, that's just a continuation of Paul's thought about, you know, again, being generous, being open-handed, all that with what material resources God gives to me. But that word really has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with our relationships with each other. Because God wants me to share my material things. But even more importantly, God wants me to come to a place where I share me with others. And that's what that word means. It means to be sociable. It means to communicate with each other. It means to maintain fellowship with each other. Because it's not just enough in God's eyes for us to be willing to help each other materially or physically or externally every once in a while. God calls us into fellowship with Him and with each other so that we can share ourselves with each other as well. Because isn't it the end of the day, after we die and go into eternity, if we can't take material, physical, or external things with us, then what can we take with us? Relationships. That's what we can take with us. I can't take all these material, physical things. i got to leave those behind. But I can take people with me into eternity. And the relationships that we have started down here and that we maintain and, and that we, you know, have down here... They can continue for all of eternity. And that's what God wants me to realize as well. Is how much time are we really taking to invest in eternity and even looking at it from the standpoint of relationships. 
You know, again, we live in this world where even as Christians, I, I don't have time for relationships. And yet one day we're going to go into a place where all the things that we were working so hard and running so hard after, they're not going to matter. The one thing that is going to matter is relationships. So maybe it's time that we as Christians start to adjust our priorities a little bit and make time for what really counts and what really matters. And as I've shared with you before, as Christians, there's only two things that we come in contact with on this side of eternity that's going to last. My time with the Word of God, because this lasts throughout eternity, and my time interacting with other people. Everything else, we brought nothing into this world, we carry nothing into the next world. It's even unrecognized up there. God's God's not impressed. What God is impressed with is our faith. What God is impressed with is my investment in his word every day. What God is impressed with is my willingness to invest in relationships with other people because at the end of the day, that's what I can carry into eternity. That's what the highest quality of life, that's what really matters. That enables us to lay hold, Paul says, of what is truly life. Then in verse 20, he says, Oh, Timothy, This is expressing intense emotion. This isn't just some, you know, Bible instructor giving, you know, Bible facts to a young disciple. This is a man who has invested years of his life in this young man and his ministry. And he cares deeply about Timothy and his ministry. And he wants Timothy to get these things because they are essential They're indispensable. And they bring out the most meaningful, significant things that our lives can count for. And so, this not only should matter to Timothy, but it matters to Paul. Oh, Timothy, he says. In every other letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament, he always takes time at the end of the letter to sort of finalize it and give like a final greeting. You'll notice here in 1 Timothy, he doesn't do that at all. It is just business all the way to the end. Why? Because what Paul is sharing with Timothy here is just so important that that's the focus even for Paul as he writes. He says, Oh, Timothy, protect what has been entrusted to you. Guard. Watch. Take care of. It is a word that speaks of uninterrupted vigilance. It would be like a soldier at their post, always maintaining vigilance as to what they've been entrusted with. Paul says, Timothy, you've got to guard these things. As we even said last week, you've got to fight for what really matters in life. And Paul's saying the same thing here. God has entrusted us with stuff. And our first priority then should be to, to take, be taking care of and guarding and observing and watching over what God has placed into our hands. 
Which is why Paul goes on to say to Timothy, but avoid all these profane chatters and absurdities of so-called knowledge. You know what he's saying? Timothy, don't waste your time in empty discussions. Don't waste your time in worthless babble. Don't waste your time in being part of a group even of Christians of mutually shared ignorance. Get under a teacher of the word and grow and place yourself under the authority of God's word in your life and start to get some traction in your life. Because time is too short to get caught up in these other things. Because we've only got so much time before eternity comes our way. Focus on what really matters. Because every moment that we spend getting caught up in the things that we are going to be a waste in eternity takes us away from the opportunities we have to impact and influence eternity in our lives. And so that's why we've got to say no and avoid and shun a lot of things and narrow the focus of our life and discipline our life to go after what really matters. Because he goes on to say in verse 21, by professing, some have actually strayed from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. I want you to consider this picture for a moment. As we go through life, we can either pick up things with our hand. Or we can obviously have our hand and, and, and other people can place things in that hand. And then once we grab a hold of it ourselves and take it, or once we take it from somebody else, then we got to carry that around in that hand. But I want you to consider something. What if God wanted to place something in that hand or entrust you or I with something? If I've got so much stuff that I'm picking up and maybe I've got stuff in here that others have given me, then I don't have any room in my life to take on what God wants to give me. The only way that I can do that is by letting go of something else. And I think sometimes as Christians, we have to come to that realization in our lives. God wants to entrust us with things. That's part of what Paul's telling Timothy. Guard what you've been entrusted with. Don't let it go. And don't pick up something else because if you pick that up, then you've got to let go of what God wants you to have in your hands. So every once in a while as Christians, I think we have to go through this realization. And that is this. I can only carry so much in my life at one time. Am I carrying so much stuff in my life right now? And I'm not talking about material, physical, external things. I'm just talking about whatever that is. Am I carrying so much stuff that either I've picked up or that others have thrown my way that God is coming into my life saying, well, Jeff, I, I was really hoping I could entrust you with that, but you don't have enough room in your arms for that. See, one of the things we have to, I think, periodically do as Christians and learn to do as we grow 
is make sure that because we're limited in what we can be caring and entrusted with at any one time, that our first priority be, God, I need to make sure that my arms and my hands, first of all, are carrying what you want me to carry. That, that, that I'm able to carry out what you want to entrust me with. And then, if we've got any other room in our hands or in our arms, then maybe we can take on this or take that on. But too often, I think, as Christians, we've grabbed a hold of all these other things, and then God comes along and says, Hey, I want to entrust you with this. I want to give you... Oh, you don't have enough hands for it. In closing today, we're going to sing a song we've sung for a while here called Open Hands. And most of the time when we sing that song, we understand where that song's coming from for the most part. It's what Paul already said. Hey, part of it is too realizing you know, what our perspective should be on material, physical, external things. And God doesn't want us to be hoarders and selfish and all of that. God wants us to be rich in good deeds. God wants us to be generous givers. God wants us to live with an open hand. God wants us to be ready to impart all of those things. And I, I want, obviously, that to continue. But... For today, I'd also like us to consider that as we sing the words of that song, that we also think about open hands from just what I just said. And that is this. Is my hands open to what God wants to give me? Are my hands able to take on what God wants to entrust me with? Or are my hands and arms so cluttered with the things that I've already grabbed or the things that other people have given me that I don't have any more room for what God has in my life or what he wants to impart to me? See, it should always be the other way around. The first priority of my life is to make sure that I've grabbed a hold of and I'm taking on what God has for me. And then if there's any room left, Sure, take on something else. But too often, we have very little room for God to give us what He wants. And here's the, here's the, the sad, tragic thing. What God wants to give us and desires to give us and entrust us with are the things that will bless the socks off of our lives. That they are the things that will bring us fulfillment and satisfaction like nothing else can. They will be the things that bring significance and meaning and consequence into my life. All the things that I'm looking for by pursuing all these other things, I'll never get there. But when I put God first in my life, then all those other things will fall into place. Which is why Jesus said to his disciples early on, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those other things will be added to you. Is God enough? Is God enough? Am I at a place in my life 
where I've got an open hand to take what God wants to give me. If not, here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. I'd like to encourage you to let go of something that God hasn't given you, that God hasn't entrusted you with, so that you can take up something that God wants to give you. You'll be more blessed than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we believe that this is your word to us. This word should carry full weight, force, and authority in our lives. And so, God, I pray today that each one of us who are here, those who will listen to this message at some point, would be willing to come under your word and place ourselves under its authority and say, God, if this is what you say, this is your command. If this is your charge, then I will comply. I will yield. I will surrender. Help me not to live one more day, one more moment saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. No one's going to tell me what to do, including God. Because, folks, at the end of of that philosophy of life is nothing but ruin and emptiness. A life of fulfillment. A life of enjoyment. A life of satisfaction and significance and meaning. Paul has clearly taught us these last three weeks out of 1 Timothy 6 comes only when God is the priority of our life. Help us, God, to live with open hands. Not just hands, God, that are willing to share and be generous and impart, Lord, the things you've blessed our lives with to others so that they can benefit as well. But also, God, help us to approach this time with open hands toward you so that we can take up what you want to entrust to us. And maybe that means letting go of something that we've taken up ourselves. Use us, God, to impact and influence others and eternity every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.